Why don't you grab a Bible? Uh, if you don't have a Bible, they are in your the end rows, and they can be passed down. Um, we are going to be in Romans chapter eleven. Romans chapter eleven, page nine seventy four, nine seventy six, somewhere around there, and uh, nine seventy four. Everybody, grab a Bible. Critical. It's the word of life. God's words for us. 947, not 970, whatever I said, it's up there. Uh, let me tell you a, an experience. One of the things that I get to do uh, frequently with kind of um, my connection to Camp Manitoba and connection with Missio Day Church um, is I get to officiate at a lot of weddings. We've got to, if you look around, you can kind of see it's our average age is marriage age-ish. And so... Uh, that, that is a wonderful opportunity, and it's also draining. You know, sometimes you get the, the bridezilla effect or the mother-in-law who can be the motherzilla uh, effect, you know. But one of the things that I love is um, after all the grandparents and parents have been seated, I walk down the aisle with the groom. And I get to stand up in front uh, with this this guy who is about ready to pee his pants uh, because he's so nervous and so excited, and I stand up there in front in front of all the people who have been assembled by their invitation, and the doors open up one by one. You get the bridesmaids and the groomsmen; they're all walking down. You know, the women are very serious and they're walking very deliberate with each step, and the guys come down. You know, they high five the groom. And uh, the last couple walks up, and the door shut for a little bit. And then um, you can kind of see the, the groom kind of shuffling about, hands in the pocket. Uh, you can almost hear the sweat start to drip again because of the nerves that are going on. The music changes, and there's that little pause, and all of a sudden what happens? the doors open. And depending on the guy, you get different kinds of reactions. Some of the guys also get even more stoic as there's like, oh my, this is real. This is, there's no turning back now. Other guys, their face just, the smile is just huge and contagious. Other guys, and I love these kind of guys, tears start to fall as they see their bride for the first time walking down the aisle. As she is revealed, something happens in the heart of the man of she is absolutely beautiful. And she is the one that I get to spend the rest of my breathing life with. Today we are going to be looking at Romans chapter 11, 33 to 36. And to give you a little bit of background, last uh, Thursday, this past Thursday, Nathan and I, uh, at our elders meeting, um, started looking at a paper that Todd Pabin, our, our deacon who oversees our, our corporate singing, uh, presented a paper on this theology of worship. 
What does it mean for us to worship? What is worship? And immediately, when we, when we come in our churchy kind of context, the first thing that we think about is what happens right here, right? We think, oh, we're going to worship Jesus, and we sing songs, and you might even hear the worship leader say, let's enter into a time of worship. And so as Nathan and I were wrestling through this, we started saying, you know what? We as a church have got to really investigate and maybe go down deeper into what is worship. What does worship mean for Missio Dei Church? What does it mean for the historical church? What does it mean as we look at the full counsel of God for us as believers in Jesus Christ to worship Him in spirit and in truth? And so, we were going to start a, a series on, in the book of Nehemiah about a man who cried over the city of Jerusalem because of its walls being torn down. The man just cried when he heard those news. But we thought, you know what, before we get to that, we need to understand who is this God. And what is the message? And who are the people that, man, as God reveals Himself, what is our natural response? So follow along with me. Starting at verse 33 of chapter 11. Oh, the depth of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments and inscrutable are His ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? And who has been His counselor? Or who has given a gift to Him that He might be repaid? For from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. To Him be glory forever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. For 11 chapters, the Apostle Paul was, has been writing to the church in Rome. For 11 chapters, Paul has been giving this comprehensive, full-blown account of the Gospel. He's been laying it out in, in technical terms. He's been laying it out in plain terms. He's been kind of diagramming it out, if you remember the days of diagramming. How many people know what diagramming is? Okay, we got a few of you. Diagramming, let me just help you out. It, when I was in high school, back in the Stone Ages, my English teacher would give us a sentence, and we had to diagram it. And basically what it meant is we had to identify what is the noun, what is the verb? What are the articles? What are the participles? What are the adjectives? What are the adverbs? And we had to break it all down so that we understood how the sentence worked. And that's what the Apostle Paul is doing in Romans. He is saying, this is the gospel. Now let me break it down for you. And what he has done for 11 chapters is he has step by step shown, one, how God has revealed his way of putting sinners right with him. Then he goes on and says how Christ has died for our sins and has raised us for our justification. And then he talks about how we are united with Christ in his death and our 
in His resurrection. And then He talks about how the Christian life is not lived under the law, but in the Spirit. And then He talks about how God plans to incorporate Israel and the Gentiles into this new community. He has just been breaking it down piece by piece. And he talks about this and talks about that. And he, he, it's the, if I would ever preach through Romans, it would take an eternity. Because we have to slowly walk through it and digest all these things. And all of a sudden, Paul kind of steps back and he is just like, he looks at what has happened happening. He's been, he looks at, at the gospel. And one one guy from Switzerland, his name is uh, Frederick Goddard, said this, Like a traveler who has reached the summit of an alpine ascent, the apostle turns and contemplates. Depths are at his feet, but waves of light illuminate them, and there spreads all around an immense horizon which his eye commands. He steps back, And he is just, look at this God. Look at this God. For 11 chapters, I've been doing this real intellectual kind of parsing things out for you. And all of a sudden, he steps back and he goes, look at this. Look at this God who has created this plan for humanity. In his tremendous love for humanity himself and his glory and his fame and his renown and his love for mankind, he has created a plan for me, for you. And in that plan, and God before all time, he has planned this out and said, I am going to send my son, Jesus Christ, for these chosen people that I so dearly love. I'm going to send my son, Jesus Christ, and he is going to pay the penalty for their sin. He is going to absorb all my wrath against that sin. He is going to die on the cross for that sin. And he is going to, through those means, give life so that they may live again. So they may be my sons and my daughters, my people. And Paul, in verse 33, just goes, Oh. This is a word in the Greek that is actually, Oh. Pronounced that way. Oh. It's almost a shock. An exclamation of, Oh. The depths of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments. Oh, God, You are good. Oh, the depths of Your riches and Your wisdom and Your knowledge. And your, your judgments are unsearchable and your ways, they're inscrutable. There, there's no way to even explain them away. God, you are, 
you are absolutely amazing. As I'm standing on this mountaintop looking at your plan and your goodness, which I can't even really explain how you did it and why you did it. It makes no sense that you chose a sinner like me. And imagine Paul, who has described himself as the chief of sinners, the worst of the worst, and Paul is standing on this mountaintop going, Oh God, you are good. You you are beautiful. You are you're amazing. And then he goes into this this kind of questioning thing. For who has ever known the mind of God? And who has ever been God's counselor? And who has ever given him a gift that he might be repaid? Paul is sitting back going, Oh, there's nothing that I can give him. There's nothing that I could give him that God would say, that's enough, I'm satisfied. That gift right there, your treasury of your yearly income, that, that's enough, thank you very much. God is, there, there's nothing that I can give to God that you can say, we're even, right? We've settled the score, everything is all clear now. We're even God, you and me, all good now. There's nothing, no gift that I can give him. There's no way that I can say, okay, God, listen, here's the situation. And here's the best way that I know that you should handle it. God, apparently you need a little bit of counseling here. I can be your advisor. I know you're the God of all creation. You spoke and there was. But... I've got a better idea. Paul is sitting back going, this God of my salvation is so much grander, so much more knowledgeable, so much more wise. His his resources are infinite. This God is worthy of my absolute worship. He he is saying, listen, this this wisdom of God, this wisdom of God directs all things to its best end. And the knowledge of God knows the end. So when it comes to our salvation and our day-to-day lives, the wisdom of God knows the best way to get to the end. And God knows the end. And I want you to think about wherever you are in your your station of life, wherever you are in your your academic life, wherever you are in your marriage or your non-marriage, your dating, your your relational place in life, wherever you are in your, uh, your work life, wherever you are in your season of life, wherever you are, God, in His infinite wisdom, His perfect wisdom, knows the best means, the best direction for us. And on top of that, He knows the end. 
That's the God that I love. And that's the God that we are called to worship. The God of infinite wisdom. God of infinite knowledge. The God who is rich in all resources. And the best riches that He gives us is His Son, Jesus Christ. And I love, I love this middle section. Who's known the mind? Who's been his counselor? Who, is, who has given him a gift? Paul is just basically going back to a section in Isaiah, and he goes back to a section in Job. If, if you want some good reading, go to Job, read Job 37 through 41. This is after. Job's friends have just kind of given him some counsel about, listen, here's the deal. Job, apparently you've done this, and apparently you've done that. This is why God is acting in this way. And all of a sudden, God enters into the scene. And He speaks. And He basically starts off by saying, Who is this that darkens my counsel, my doorways? Who is this? Who are you? You guys are trying to explain what I am doing? Stand back and take it. There's a point where God basically says, brace yourself as a man, because I am going to give